This morning I invite you to take your Bible, draw your sword, turn to Matthew chapter 13 as this morning we continue in our eight-part sermon series entitled Storytime, Parables of Jesus. This morning I want to read in your hearing Matthew chapter 13 verses 24 to 30 and then also verses 36 to 43. And once you find your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Matthew chapter 13, allow me to begin at verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you might root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So he who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord and thanks be to God. You may be seated. Just as Moses gave us five books in the Pentateuch and as David gave us five books in the Psalms, so Matthew, in his good news gospel telling, arranges his narrative around five teaching passages of King Jesus. The first and the longest teaching passage in Matthew's gospel is recorded in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. The second teaching passage is Matthew chapter 10. It is a missional discourse where Jesus gives instructions to his disciples as he sends them out on mission. The third teaching passage is Matthew chapter 13. It's the parabolic discourse where Matthew strings together seven parables of Jesus. The fourth teaching passage comes to us in Matthew chapter 18. It's the teaching passage on the church where Jesus gives us instruction on how we interact one with the other. 
the fifth and final teaching passage in Matthew's Gospels, chapter 24 and 25. It's the Olivet Discourse. It's Jesus' teaching on eschatology, the study of last things. The passage I just read for you comes from that parabolic discourse in Matthew chapter 13. I already said that Matthew strings together seven parables. You know by now that a parable is an earthly story with an eternal truth. In the number seven, it represents the number of completion and totality. So what Matthew is doing in this 13th chapter is he's giving us a total rendition of the teaching ministry of Jesus. Throughout this 13th chapter, in nearly all of these seven parables, Jesus gives a simile, a metaphor, an analogy of sorts. When he's describing the kingdom of heaven, he uses that phrase, the kingdom of heaven, and then he describes it in various ways all throughout Matthew chapter 13. In all seven of these parables, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like mustard seed. It's so small, it's seemingly so insignificant, yet when it's planted in the ground, it grows and blossoms and explodes into a tree that gives shade to all types of birds. The kingdom of heaven is also like yeast that a woman uses as she kneads through the dough. That yeast is invisible. It, it seems so insignificant, and yet it affects every part of the lump of dough. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, a treasure that a man stumbled upon in a field. He buried it back in the ground, went home, sold everything he had, and went back and bought that field because the owner of the field would also be the owner of everything buried underneath it, including the treasure. And this man said that that treasure was just that valuable. He'd be willing to sell everything just to obtain that treasure. Jesus went on to say that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who finds a pearl of great price. This merchant knows his business, and this pearl is so valuable that the merchant is willing to sell everything he owns so he can purchase that pearl of great price. Jesus also said that the kingdom of heaven is like a net that a fisherman lowers into the water. It catches all types of fish. Whatever the kingdom of heaven is, from these similes, from these metaphors, it becomes abundantly clear that the kingdom is explosive. It is intensive. It is expansive. It is all-consuming. It is all-encompassing. The kingdom of heaven is not a political kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is not a geographical kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is not a worldly kingdom because it's not from this world. Simply stated, the kingdom of heaven is Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of Christ in your life. Jesus tells these stories to communicate what it is to surrender unto him, what it is to be aligned uh, behind him, what it is to be a citizen in his kingdom. He came to usher in the kingdom of heaven. And everyone who follows him is a citizen of that kingdom. Everyone who follows him is a member of that eternal spiritual kingdom of God. In our story, we are told that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Matthew already told us that 
the crowd was so large that day that they pressed against him. Jesus got into a boat, pushed off from shore, turned around, sat down, and he preached from that aquatic pulpit. The second of those parables, the passage I read for you, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven. It's like like a, a man who owns a field and he sows good seed in that field. And then while everyone was sleeping, an enemy came and tried to sabotage the crop. An enemy came and planted right beside that wheat a bunch of weeds. Now, that's a low blow. I mean, that is a level of vandalism that's below the belt. That's a sucker punch right there. I mean, this is this man's livelihood. He is sowing good seed in his field. In the days of Jesus, what the enemy did to this farmer, it's worse than a teenager egging your chariot. It's worse than, than... A teenager rolling the sycamore fig tree in your front yard with papyrus paper. I mean, what this enemy did was vicious. It was a low blow. You Can you imagine the depth that he had to sink in order to sabotage this man's crop? Now, I don't know if you've seen a, a wheat field, but initially when the wheat begins to grow, it looks a lot like weeds, but you give it some time. And that stalk will develop a head of grain. And it becomes obvious it's wheat. It's at that point when the wheat became obvious that it was wheat and then the weeds were sprouting up right beside it that the servants of that owner of the field came to their master. And they said, where did the weeds come from? I mean, who planted them there? And the owner said it was an enemy who did that. The servants ask a good question. Do you want us to go and and weed out the weeds so that only the wheat will remain? Now, what they're offering to do is a tedious task. Can you imagine going through a wheat field in between every stalk of wheat and pulling out the weeds? Yet these servants are willing to do it. Is that what you want us to do? Go and pull out the weeds from the field. And the owner said, no, let them grow together. Let the wheat continue to grow right beside the weeds. At harvest time, I'll send the harvesters. And I'll give them this instruction. First, I want you to pull out the weeds, bundle them, throw them into the fire. Then I want you to harvest the wheat and safely put it in my barn. Because right now, if you were to go out prematurely and if you were to pull up the weeds, you just might uproot some of that wheat. And if you uproot it too quickly, It just might be damaging. So let them both grow at the same time. We're told at the beginning of verse 36, the disciples went back to the house with Jesus. And they said, "Uh, yeah, Jesus, uh, we didn't understand that one at all. Uh, Can you please explain that whole story about the weeds in the field? Now keep in mind, the disciples have been with Jesus for quite a long time by now. 
I mean, they, they had heard him preach. They, they knew the power of parables. They, they understood that many times Jesus just kind of throws it out there and lets the crowd connect the dots. And the longer you're with Jesus and the more parables you hear from Jesus, you're able to kind of connect the dots yourself. But these disciples, they said, Jesus, whoo, that one goes right over our heads. We don't understand it. I don't think the disciples were the only ones in a fog of confusion that day. We are told that large crowds pressed against Jesus so that he had to get into a boat and push off from shore. I'm sure that there were several people in that crowd, once the individuals began to disperse, that they walked away and they were left scratching their heads. I can envision that two friends had traveled a long way. And the one friend said to his buddy, hey, what do you think about the upstart rabbi named Jesus? And the friend said, well, I think he leaves a lot to be desired. I don't have a clue what he's talking about. Did you understand that story at all? I I, I don't understand it. Some people say he's the next King David. Yeah, I don't see it. Some people even say he's the long-awaited Messiah. I don't understand it. I mean, all he does is just tell stories. You know, that's what's wrong with rabbis today. You know, these preachers today, they, they, they speak about things that nobody really cares about. They speak about things that, that nobody understands. Do you understand what he was talking about? Well, you know, maybe what he was saying was that you don't need to make enemies. Because if you make enemies of people, then they'll try to sabotage your crops. So just go along and get along. Be a peacekeeper. Just keep the peace at all costs because you don't want to make any enemies. Because those enemies just might vandalize your field. The friend said, that's not what he meant at all. He wasn't talking about making friends and, and, and not making enemies. No, I think... I think he was confused on his audience. I don't think he knew who he was talking to. He thought he was talking at a farmer's forum. He thought we were all a bunch of farmers. We're not all a bunch of farmers. I mean, I know we live in an agricultural society, but we're not all farmers. I think what he was giving was just a few tips on the proper harvesting technique uh, at, at, at harvest time that when you, when you send out the harvesters, you tell them first to do this and then to do that. And a friend looked at him and said, you don't have the foggiest idea, do you? That's not anything of what he meant. Well, I don't know what he meant. I mean, it would be great if a preacher could stand up and tell you something that really would help you get through the day. It'd be nice if he would say something about, oh, I don't know. Look at all the evil that's around us. I mean, if God is so good and if God is so powerful, why is there so much evil that's right around us. I mean, why, why not say something like that? Why not address that topic? Or if he's not going to address that topic, at least talk about marriage, how to build a good marriage, how to have happy kids, how to make ends meet. Because, you know, in these days, it's so hard. This economy, it's hard to make ends meet at the end of every month. I mean, I just wish that, that rabbis would say something of interest and, and of importance. I wish that preachers would say something that really matters to people. And the friend said to his buddy, well, you know, I guess you're right. Because all the guy named Jesus did was just tell stories. And they weren't even good stories. They weren't funny stories. He didn't entertain us. He didn't make us laugh. He didn't even tell religious stories. He just told 
agricultural stories. And furthermore, what does a preacher know about farming? I don't think he knew what he was talking about. I don't think he knew who he was talking to. Oh, well, at least we can tell people we heard the upstart rabbi preach. I promise you there are a lot of people that left the seashore that day, and they were confused. They didn't know what in the world Jesus meant by that story. The disciples who had been with him, they didn't understand it either. They said, Jesus, will you please explain the parable? And for a rare occasion, Jesus explains and connects the dots for us. Jesus said, the owner of the field was the son of man. In other words, um, I am the main character of this story. Jesus uses the favorite reference for himself. Uh, throughout the Gospels, Jesus, more times than not, calls himself the Son of Man. It's an Old Testament reference. It's a reference to a place like Daniel, where Daniel looks and sees the Son of Man coming on the clouds. It's a reference to the Messiah. And so Jesus oftentimes frequently called himself the Son of Man. In our story, Jesus says the owner of the field is the Son of Man. Jesus is the main character of that story. Can I go one step further? Jesus is the main character of every story. Jesus is the main character of your story. Whether you acknowledge it or not, Jesus is the main player. He's the main character. He's the owner of the property. He's the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he owns the hills as well. I mean, Jesus is the Son of Man. He says the, the field is the world. The wheat, that represents the sons and daughters of the kingdom that I have planted in this world. The weeds, those are the sons and daughters of the evil one. And the enemy, he's the devil. The devil has come in an effort to sabotage the kingdom of God. He has come in the hopes of damaging the crop of the Lord Jesus himself. The uh, harvest is the end of time. The harvesters are the angels. Jesus said, I will send out my angels at the end of time at the harvest. And they will successfully, they will accurately Weed out of my kingdom everything that causes sin and evil. They will bind up the weeds, bundle them up. They will throw them into the fire to be burned. And they will successfully harvest the wheat, put it safely in my barn. And the sons and daughters of righteousness will shine like the sun before my Father in heaven. Jesus uh, is giving us a glimpse to the answer of one of the most age-old questions of humanity. There are a lot of people in every generation who do ask the question, if God is so good and if God is so powerful, why is there so much evil? If God is so good and God is so powerful, why 
is there so much evil? For I don't have to convince you that we live in an evil world, do I? I mean, right beside truth, there's planted a lie. Right beside purity, there's perversion. Right beside joy, there's jealousy. Right beside honor, there is horror. Right beside security, there is a scandal. You and I live in a world where all around us, evil prevails. And Jesus is giving us an answer to that age-old question. Why is there so much evil? And the reason is because the enemy, the devil himself, the adversary, is attempting to sabotage God's kingdom. And he has come in and he has planted evil, wickedness, weeds, corruption, all around the children of light. All around the sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. I don't have to convince you that there's so much corruption and wickedness. I mean, all you have to do is just read the news feed that comes across your phone. All you have to do is just uh, simply watch a cable network of your choosing. Read a newspaper if you still read those things. All you have to do is look around and read and observe. And there's so much deception. There's so much corruption. There's so much scandal. I mean, in our day, currently, right now, depending on uh, what side of the political aisle you find yourself, you are told on the one hand that the previous president of the United States of America is so corrupt and such a criminal that he stole some documents that did not belong to him. If you're on the other side of the aisle, you are led to believe that the current president of the United States of America is so compromised through bribery that he has been bribed from some of our national enemies and he's not even fit to serve as the president of the United States. So regardless of what side of the aisle you find yourself, there's so much corruption, so much deceit, so much deception. So much evil that is all around. And you have to decide which one is right, which one is wrong, which one is more evil, which one is less evil. But there's so much corruption all around. And Jesus says the reason is because the devil himself has planted evil all around us. You know, it is, uh, it's tempting to hear this story and think that the field is the church. Because in far too many churches of our Lord Jesus Christ, planted in the pews, you might have a son or daughter of righteousness planted right beside a son or a daughter of wickedness, evil. And friend, let me tell you, the presence of evil in Jesus' church it's not because of some heinous act of the adversary. It's really more an indictment against our failure to disciple believers well. If we discipled believers well, believers would be able to identify wheat and weeds, and the weeds would be weeded out of the church. The presence of evil in the church is not because of some heinous act of the adversary. It's because of the church's failure to disciple believers well. I'll just leave it right there because in this story, Jesus clearly says that the field is not the church, but the field is the world. And in the world, you've got wheat and you got weeds. If God is so good, if God is so powerful, why is there so much evil? 
The answer is because the enemy, the adversary, has planted weeds among the wheat. So then the question becomes, well, when will the Son of Man do something about it? When will Jesus, God in the flesh, when will Jesus do something about it? And the answer from this story comes to us at the harvest. The harvest is the end of time. At the end of time, Jesus will dispatch his angels. And those angels will pluck with precision. They will know how to weed out the weeds and harvest the wheat safely and securely into the barn of God, the very heaven presence of our Lord. And the angels will be able to do this successfully. They'll be able to do this accurately. They won't make any mistakes because they'll be following the instructions and the lead of the owner of the field, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus himself. When's this going to happen? At the harvest. I want you to notice what Jesus said. That when the angels come, they will remove from my kingdom everything that causes sin and evil. Now that ought to make us shout hallelujah. That ought to make us get happy in this house. Because there's coming a day when Jesus will successfully take the wheat into his barn. And when he successfully removes the wheat from the weeds, uh, the angels will accurately remove the wheat and they'll remove out everything that causes sin and evil. So that so when the end of age comes, so when the harvest is accomplished, that we will go to a place of no more sin and no more evil. We live with some more but we're going to the place of no more, right? We live with some more pain. We go to the place of no more pain. We live with some more sickness. We're going to the place of no more sickness. We live with some more sadness. Going to the place of no more sadness. We live with some more cancer. Going to the place of no more cancer. We live with some more strokes. Going to the place of no more strokes. We live with some more heartache. Going to the place of no more heartache. We live with some more hospitals. Going to the place of no more hospitals. We live in the place of some more sin, going to the place of no more sin. We live with some more evil, going to the place of no more evil. There's coming a day when Jesus will dispatch his angels. The harvesters will come. They will successfully and accurately weed out everything that causes sin and evil so that we will be with God in his presence. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more sadness. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more evil. Everything that causes evil will be weeded out of his kingdom. When when Jesus comes back, he will successfully take us into his presence. So then the question becomes, Lord Jesus, why not do that now? Why are you tarrying? Why are you waiting? Since you are so powerful, since you are able to remove all the weeds, everything that causes sin and evil. Why don't you do it now? And the answer is a one-word answer. Grace. Jesus has not returned yet because of grace. He's giving 
you, me, everyone, another opportunity to repent. In Matthew chapter 4, the entire preaching ministry of Jesus is summed up in this statement. That Jesus went from village to village preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The big takeaway from the preaching of Jesus was pretty simple. Every sermon invited people to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus himself, God in the flesh, the rule and reign of Christ is very near, is very present. And the way you gain entrance into God's kingdom is through repentance. In fact, repentance is the only route of reconciliation in the kingdom of heaven. Let me say that again. That repentance is the only route of reconciliation in the kingdom of heaven. The only way a person gets into God's kingdom is by repenting. And repentance does mean the changing of the mind. But Jesus understood that if you change belief, you'll change behavior. If, if, you, if you change how you think, you'll change how you act. And if you are aligned with Jesus, if you are in his kingdom, if you're a citizen of what he is establishing, then you will begin to look like King Jesus and talk like King Jesus and walk like King Jesus and strut like King Jesus. And you will look more like Christ than the culture because you're turning from sin turning towards the Savior when you repent you receive entrance into God's kingdom repentance is the only route of reconciliation in the kingdom of heaven the summary of all the preaching of Jesus is one statement repent for the kingdom of heaven is near there have been times when people have asked me the question Pastor, uh, why do we always have an invitation at the end of every sermon, at the end of every service? And the simple answer is, um, if Jesus called people to repent at the end of his sermons, then I think I would do well to call people to repent at the end of my sermons. Because if it's a pretty good motto and mantra for the Messiah named Jesus, then I think I want to follow his lead and try to preach like he did, right? And so... We offer invitations because now is a time of grace. Now is a time for people to respond, to confess sin, to align themselves with King Jesus, to acknowledge and submit their entire life unto the Lord. The reason Jesus hasn't come back yet is because of what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3. God is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but he wants anyone, everyone, to repent and be saved. It's not that God is slow. The reason he has not returned, the reason he has not unleashed his harvesters, the angels, is because he's giving people an opportunity to repent. I don't know about you, but I think back over my life, and I am so glad that Jesus didn't come back before I repented of my sin. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't come back before the day you repented of your sin? And if God is that patient with me, then I ought to be that patient with others. But at the same time, there's a level of tenacity in telling the good news gospel story because we do know that there's coming a day 
when harvest will come. We know there's coming a day when Jesus will send out the harvesters, the angels. Because there's coming a moment when Jesus will say enough is enough. I want to be very clear this morning. Um, Satan's sabotage cannot destroy God's kingdom. Satan's sabotage cannot destroy God's kingdom. God will never lose his crop. God will never lose his crop. He knows his business. He knows that he's planted wheat. And if he's planted wheat, it will produce some grain. And it will be successfully harvested and securely placed in his barn. The Lord will not lose his crop. Satan's sabotage cannot destroy the kingdom of God. As I look at this slice of the world, can you tell me, what am I looking at? Am I looking at wheat? Am I looking at weeds? I mean, you tell me, what am I looking at? I mean, as I look at this slice of the world, Am I looking at wheat? Am I looking at weeds? More than a few of you are beginning to bristle up inside and you say, Pastor, how dare you? Of course I'm wheat. The purpose today is not for me to confuse you or call it into question. But let me ask you, how do you know that wheat is wheat? Because it produces grain. Elsewhere, Jesus said, by their fruit you'll recognize them. I shouldn't have to tell you I'm wheat. You should see it. It should be evident. It should be obvious. And if you ever ask yourself, what are the things that I'm supposed to produce in my life? Well, the Bible's not silent on that. In a place like Romans chapter 1, the fruit of your life that you are to produce includes people that you've brought to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Let's be theologically accurate. People are saved not because of your effort. People are saved because of the movement of the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of the Lord that draws somebody unto himself. It's the Spirit that opens up our eyes unto his salvation. It's the Spirit that woos us and draws us. It's the hound from heaven who pursues us. But in his sovereignty, the Spirit of God invites us into the work, implores us to go out to the highways and the byways, and to compel people to come in. Paul said in Romans 1 that the people that you bring to the Lord, that's the fruit of your life. Let's say it this way. Found people ought to find people for Jesus. If you are found by Christ, you ought to find others for Christ. We've asked it this way before. Who are you close to who's not close to the Lord? That's your low-hanging fruit in the evangelistic efforts of your life. Who are you close to who's not close to the Lord? Because the fruit that we are to produce includes evangelism. But beyond that, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 that the fruit you produce is your character. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It is the fruit of the Spirit. But then in a place like Romans chapter 15, Paul says that your fruit is your loot. But it's not all your money. It's just the money that you give to the Lord. 
That's your fruit that you produce. That which you sacrifice unto him. That money which you freely give to the work of God in and through his church. That loot that you give to the Lord. Paul says that's fruit. Then the author of the Hebrew letter says in Hebrews 13 that the praise on your lips is fruit from your life. Every time you praise the Lord, every time you sing a hallelujah, every time you say a hearty amen, every time you praise the Lord and just say, thank you, Jesus, for not treating me as my sins deserve. Thank you, Jesus, because I worship you because you're worthy of my worship. Every time you worship him in praise, that's fruit from your lips. I said moments ago that there's coming a day when Jesus will say enough is enough. He will only temporarily tolerate the wickedness in this world. He won't tolerate it forever. There'll come a day when his kingdom will weed out everything that causes sin and evil. He won't do it prematurely. Why? He said in the story, if he does it prematurely, it may do some harm to my wheat. So I know my wheat better than the wheat know their own wheat. So I will come at just the right time. But there's coming a day when enough's enough. There's coming a day when Jesus will only tolerate temporarily the wickedness in this world. I don't know about you, but there are times when I say, God, you know, if I was God for a day, I would wipe out a lot of people. But God, you're more patient than I am, and God is certainly more patient than I am. He's probably more patient than you are, too. He's patient, but he's not a pushover. There's coming a day when King Jesus, the king of the kingdom of heaven, will say, enough's enough. I will only temporarily tolerate the wickedness in this world. With that being said, let me ask this question. If it's true that Jesus will only temporarily tolerate the wickedness of the world, how long will you tolerate your own wickedness? I know I'm wheat. I know that many of you are wheat. I'm not here to call that into question. But if you're anything like me, even as wheat, there are times I can get weedy. There are times that I have to weed out the garden of my soul. Am I the only one? There's so much evil that is planted around me that sometimes it rivals the evil that erupts within me. And I know that I'm wheat. You may know that you're wheat. But even as wheat, we sometimes have to weed out the garden of our soul. I don't know about you, but, but there are times when, when I'm overwhelmed with my own wickedness. And I'll just be honest with you. I can tolerate my wickedness a lot longer than I tolerate your wickedness. I can excuse my wickedness far greater than I can excuse your wickedness. I wonder if there's anybody else like me. If you are like me, what a wretch we are. Where we somehow justify the weeds that have infiltrated the wheat of our life? That somehow we excuse the wickedness that we tolerate in our own lives, in our stinking thinking, in the words that we speak? Oh, friend, even if you are wheat, 
What do you need to do today? Hear the words of Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Apparently from this story, this is a metabolical transformation that doesn't happen in this world, but it happens in this story. Apparently from this story, if you are weeds, you don't have to stay weeds. Because weeds can become wheat in this story. Because all you have to do is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And repentance is the only route of reconciliation in the kingdom of God. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So apparently there are some weeds that can become wheat today. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Today can be the day of your salvation. But maybe you are wheat. And there are times that you produce good things. Oh, but there are other times when you let the weeds of this world infiltrate your soul. The weeds that are surrounding you somehow rival the weeds of wickedness that are within you. And you just simply need to repent. To say, Lord, I am sorry. Please forgive me. My faith has found a resting place. It's not in device nor creed. It's in the ever living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument and I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. That he died for a wretch like me. That he died for a wretch like you. It's all in Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is surrendering to the rule and reign of Christ in your life. It is saying, King Jesus, I want you to be the king of my mind. I want you to be the king of my lips. I want you to be the king of my heart. King Jesus, I surrender unto you my heart, my home, my marriage, my children, my family. I surrender unto you this church, this culture, this city, this community, this country, this nation, this world. Oh, King Jesus, I surrender unto you. You are king, and I am not. You are the master, and I'm just the, the follower. Oh, King Jesus, you are the righteous son of man, and you have planted me in this place to produce fruit. So woe is to me if I let the weeds come in. So Lord Jesus, I just repent today. Lord Jesus, I surrender today. Lord Jesus, I submit all that I am unto you because you are everything that I need. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this moment of invitation. And Father, we pray that where we need to repent of sin, we will do it freely, we will do it humbly. There may be somebody listening to my voice who needs to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, let that salvation happen today. There may be somebody listening to my voice and they are already weak, they're already in the kingdom. But far too long we let the weeds come in. Oh, Father, we repent we cast all of our cares, all of our sin at your feet. We ask for your help in Jesus' name, amen.